When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Black women and those who love black women, welcome back to this protected space. This is another episode of Monuments to Me brought to you by Revolt. And today, y'all, we are going down the journey of black womanhood. I'm your host, Akilah Friend, and I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, Ty McRae. And we are delving in to what does it mean to be black women? What is the state of black women? Are we all right? (laughs) Are we all right? And what are the things that we need to really propel ourselves in this society and to really stand on our own as we have been doing for centuries, to be honest? We can talk about it for sure from my perspective, Akila and Ty's perspective, but we also knew that we wanted to bring in two fabulous guests who are going to round out this whole story, this whole journey, this whole truth of black womanhood with us. We have Deneen Milner, who's an author, a mom, a vice president, and a publisher. She is a New York Times bestselling author and frequent contributor to publications such as Essence, NPR, Redbook, and Glamour. And y'all, it doesn't stop there. She also co-authored over 30 books, one of which I think is super, super fun. She's the one who's behind Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. She's the one that's behind, you know, Around the Way Girl, with Taraji P. Henson, just so many, so many literary masterpieces for better or for worse. And I think a lot of masterpieces that are behind a lot of what we think when it comes to black women in relation to ourselves and relation to society. So I'm so happy that she's going to be taking this journey with us. Also, we are joined by Sharonda Britton. She is the VP of customer relations and customer relationship marketing at Lowe's. She focuses on loyalty, on CRM, on segmented marketing. I mean, honestly, it's so incredible to know that she is so equipped when it comes to corporate America, being able to hold her own there as a black woman to become VP of a, you know, a very reputable company, y'all. And so we're bringing both these perspectives here with you all today because we want to make sure that when we talk about black women, we know already that we're not a monolith, but it's so important to really have these different perspectives. We're going to dive into resilience. And honestly, when I think about black women and I think about what others may think of me as a black woman, oftentimes I think of strength for better or for worse. And sometimes it's my own crutch. Like how much do we rely, do I rely on the idea of being strong? And is that really to our detriment that that is such a characteristic of black women being resilient? 
being strong? Do we have to be strong all the time? And I'm kind of, I'm ebbing into that soft life. And so I really want us all throughout this journey, throughout this conversation to really understand that it's okay to be soft. To be soft does not mean you're not being resilient. For me, I feel like that's the biggest act of and form of resilience now within black women. It's the idea of saying like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm gonna let y'all handle it because I know if I can do it, you can do it too. And I'm going to trust you to handle me and handle me right. We will be talking through assimilation, assimilation versus domination. I really want to hear from Sharonda when it comes to this, especially because I think within the media space, Deneen and I have that opportunity to be encouraged to not assimilate or not assimilate so much out the gate. But Sharonda, she's in corporate America, true and true. I mean, media is a form of corporate America as well, but she is in that true corporate America piece. And I think for her, it might be a little different. It might be a little different when it comes to how much do you want to assimilate? Is your livelihood depending on you deciding to say, hey, I'm going to hold my 100% black women back. I might give you 70%, but not the full 100 because you're not ready to respect to equally defend, to equally promote that as the next person. So we go into all that, but you know we can't leave y'all without talking a little bit more about your dream for black women. And it's so much, and I'm sure it will change as we do this conversation, but right now my dream is for us to truly walk, talk, breathe, live in our black womenhood experience without that being such a threat, you know, a compromise to other folks being their true selves either. And then because of that, of being potentially a threat or not, allowing other folks to then trust us to and encourage us and lift us <laughs> up to really be our full selves. That's the episode, y'all. So let's get right into it. Welcome. You are tuned into Monuments to Me, brought to you by Revolt. This podcast is a space for honest and relevant conversations meant to recharge Black women and inspire you on your journey. We're your hosts, Akila Friend and Ty McRae, and each week we'll be addressing a range of topics from self-care, entrepreneurship, to politics and relationships. Join us as we explore the ups and downs and bask in the joys of Black womanhood. Here's how we're going to get started. It's a big question. This podcast is for Black women. We're in conversation with Black women. So we would start off with, how are you feeling right now about being a Black woman? And what do you think is the current state of Black womanhood? Intentionally broad question. I think I'm the oldest one on the call. At You could never tell with Black folks. Right. I'll text you after. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? For real. I think I know I got y'all beat though. At 54, I can honestly say that for me, there is nothing else I'd rather be and no other place I'd rather be than standing in these shoes as a Black woman. We just have this thing about us. We're joyful even when there is nothing but chaos around us. But we also do not have a problem expressing our opinions, our emotions, recognizing that we have the full complement of them to choose from whenever we need to, however we need to. And we're just stepping into a whole lot of power. And sometimes it doesn't feel that way. But for me, if you have a run of your household and your children are okay, that you are doing great. If you are being sworn in as a Supreme Court justice, 
you are doing great and you're doing great for us. If you are helping to make laws or things are changing about us and hurting us, like SCOTUS's recent decision to eliminate the right to abortion for women, knowing that it would purposely hurt us, what I see is Black women ready, willing, and able to stand in the gap. And to me, it's not an easy thing to do. But of all of the people that, you know, like that we can look at across genders, across races, the one group that always manages to make a way out of no way (laughs) is us. And I feel like we are in a position right now more than we have in the history of us. We are in a position here in this country to hold us down. And I think that that needs to be celebrated and acknowledged at all times because what we do just sort of sets the standard for everyone else. Why do you think that is, though? Because I, first of all, completely agree with what you're saying. And I think from all our head nods and we're just like, "Mm," like, I think we all understand what you're saying. But I also want to question everyone and say, like, why do you think that is? Why do we stand in the gap? Why is it that we are the ones, I'll bring up a statistic, according to Harvard Business Review, Black women are more likely to start a business than white men. And that's just on the business front. What you're saying is, you know, has a lot to do with economic justice, social economic justice, things of that nature, are rights to reproduce. But also when we think about the economy, we're also more likely than not to go after it. So Black women are definitely in the process of starting or running new businesses. And that's just compared to, you know, 10% of white women in 2021. But I'm always questioning ourselves. I know our excellence. I know our Black girl magic, so you will. But at the same time, why do you think we're the ones to stand in the gap more so than our counterparts? I'm sure the business person can answer this <laughs> better than I can. I have some ideas, but. I think that we are born learning how to be resilient. I think that we innately understand what it means to persevere. And so, you know, you've probably seen this again, whether in your business environment or whether it's just amongst your friends where there are life-changing, life-altering situations that would take the normal person completely out. And yet there's something within Black women that we find a way to get back up again, to dust ourselves off. And we stand in the gap for other women that are in our circles. We stand in the gap for the men in our families that are in our life. And it's just what we've always done. And I think there is a celebration of that, if you will, but there's also this need to understand and really kind of step into the, we don't have to be that all the time. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous, but that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. That that our strength isn't this something that should always be celebrated in a way. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. 
That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Get to where in those moments where you don't feel strong, or where you want to have a break to be able to just let your hair down and not have to be the one to stand in the gap and know that it's okay. It's okay to have those moments. It's okay to have those days. And I think that when you amplify that level of strength in an environment like corporate America, where oftentimes you might be the only one or you might be the first you take on an additional level of responsibility that sometimes also gets mistaken for showing up too strong, not speaking in a way that makes everyone else feel comfortable, not showing up in a way that makes everyone else feel comfortable. And if I was to really think about how do I feel as a Black woman today, I definitely feel resilient. But how do I want other Black women to feel? How do I want my Black daughter to feel? I want her to feel empowered to not always have to be strong. And I want my Black son to grow up and to know that it is his responsibility to be there for his Black sister, his future Black wife, or his his children, or whomever he decides to love. But most importantly, I think for Black women, we need more people to stand up with us and to take some of that load off so that we can get that moment to just breathe. I could say amen a million times because you are speaking to my heart. I think there's this archetype of the strong Black woman that really almost emerge as a rejection to negative stereotypes around Black women that we have so embraced to a point where there's a real shadow side, where there's a detriment. We take resilience to the nth degree. And that's why I really love the conversations now around self-care even some like return to femininity movements where we just like acknowledge who we are as women and our bodies as women, you know, just acknowledging that we do need support and love and community and care and downtime. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think we're so quick to go to Black excellence, Black girl magic, all terms I never use because it just always keeps us on the go, 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 go train without really acknowledging, okay, where's the balance? Where's the support? How can other people support us? But you brought up something that I think is so important because you're both accomplished women in spaces that many women and especially Black women don't operate in, both publishing and corporate America. So I'd love to know, like, you know, what do you think are some of the keys to your successes in those spaces? And how have you balanced being this resilient, accomplished, strong Black woman and finding the support that you needed to carry you through some difficult moments? I think for me, the keys to success have evolved, right? I've had a 20 plus years career. And so the straight out of Florida A&M University, Sharonda versus Sharonda today is very different, right? Those bruises from the decisions and the choices that I've made earlier in life 
have really propelled me to where I am today. You know, oftentimes when I'm talking to mentees, I'm talking to them about this whole notion of being able to show up as their authentic self. A lot of the millennials are very much focused on, I need to be able to show up as my authentic self. And I have an unpopular opinion on what that really means because the only place that you can truly show up as your authentic self is the company that has your last name on it. Everything else that does not belong to you does not allow you to be 100% your self because it's not yours. There is power in the ownership of creating for yourself so that you can be whomever you want to be. Because when you walk into the doors of a business that is owned by someone else, you're now a part of their rules, their guidelines, their corporate governance. And I think that the struggle within that is knowing when I can show up and bring some authenticity of who I am and when I have to assimilate. And the dichotomy between those two alone is why I still go to therapy, right? You use this phrase, have to assimilate. So you're saying you feel like there are spaces where you have to assimilate. There are absolutely spaces where I have to assimilate. Now, the caveat Mm. to that is I have to assimilate because I've chosen that these are the levels that I want to attain within my career within corporate America. I could definitely choose not to have some levels of assimilation, but that means the Sharonda L. Britton agency. That means the company that I start with my best friend and my business partner. The parts of me that I choose to bring, I'm choosing to bring those authentically, knowing that there's a risk to doing that. And those are calculated risks. So what I'm thinking with that too, because it's kind of like, and part of that risk for me is more so how far do you go? Especially knowing that, and let me know, this is just a discussion, but it's more so How far do you go with that, knowing that your job and oftentimes the the stance that I take is that your job is your life for a a good chunk of your life. It's a good chunk of your day. It's a good chunk of your week. It's a good chunk of your year. And so when we think of showing up and perhaps I'm more on the spectrum of showing up authentically because, one, do you really know when you're losing what authenticity really means if you're kind of showing up at a different factor at a different place, you know, for the majority of your day, week, life? What is authenticity then to you if the majority of your time, you probably stop thinking that you're playing a role? And I also think I've experienced the mental, emotional, and physical drain of like playing a role. Because I'm with Akila, and I'm wondering if we have like, like a, a millennial thing that we're in on of just like how much energy it takes to play a role. So I would love to really unpack this a little bit because. I think when I hear the word assimilation, I get really, I guess the word is triggered. Like it has no positive connotations for me. I think there's a risk for being authentic. And I think there's a huge risk for being inauthentic. And you just have to decide how you're going to move through the world. And, you know, when I think of the phrase, no risk, no reward, is the reward greater for being who you really are and succeeding as that person? or? It sounds as if you're saying in certain spaces, you just have to like dull some of the edges and accept that, you know? So I'm really, I'm earlier, I think, than the both of you in my 
just journey in life and my journey in my career. So tell me what you think about that, because it sounds like I'm hearing team assimilation (laughs) is on the phone with us today. (laughs) I would definitely say I'm not team assimilation. I'm not all the way team full authentic self, right? But that's also because I live and work in a space where it doesn't exist as this like monolithic way to have it come to life. I think that, you know, the decision to be in corporate America versus being an entrepreneur is an individual decision. I think the decision of which type of corporate environment you're going to work in versus one that is a black owned company is an individual decision. Just like how much I feel like I have to share with myself in those corporate spaces is an individual decision, understanding that those decision makers want to be able to trust me and feel like they know me in order for me to be able to ascertain to those next levels. And so it becomes a decision of, okay, I don't want to have to talk about when I was a single mom. I don't want to have to always explain my HBCU experience. I don't want to have to talk about, you know, my father's eighth grade education and that I was the first one in my family to go to college. But that also means I have to understand what the risks are in comparison to the reward. And you see this in comparison to how many Blacks we actually see in the C-suite and in executive roles because of the fact that it is not something that we've always been able to easily attain. And there's so many reasons for that. And there's so many barriers. It's first starting with what are you willing to do and what are you willing to sacrifice as an individual to get there, it's okay if you're not, right? The reward for me is different than what the reward might be for someone else who is able to leverage their platform to travel. That brings them joy and that brings them a level of happiness. I definitely think it's an individual decision. It's an individual decision. I want to get Deneen's opinion as well, because oftentimes when we have these conversations about assimilation, about, you know, what should we do? How much of your authentic self it's geared towards those in more structured, more obvious corporate positions. But Deneen, obviously, when we talked about you and we introduced you to this segment, you're a best-selling author. And a lot of folks may think because of that, oh, you're kind of in an in a industry or in a space where you can show up as your authentic self every single day. So have you had that similar journey, that similar like internal struggle when it comes to how much of yourself do you bring forth to the world? Absolutely. And first of all, let's just say this. I am wholly unemployable because I cannot show up to anybody's office as anything other than Deneen. And I've worked for myself since 2005, precisely because I wasn't able to be what I wanted to be and to show up in my own life the way that I wanted to show up in my own life. At the time, I had two young daughters And being in corporate America, I worked as, at the time, I was working at a magazine, Parenting Magazine, of all places. I was working at Parenting Magazine, and I was getting up. Commute was an hour, an hour and a half sometimes, getting there, working until 5, 6, 7 o'clock at night, and then having to commute back home for another hour, and then showing up. And my kids have been fed. They've been bathed. And they're about to go to bed and they haven't seen me since the morning time. That killed me. And so I wanted to be able to be the authentic mother that I wanted to be, be there with my children. And so I had to figure out how to make money and be what I wanted to be to my kids. In the space that I am now, 
I refuse to show up as anything other than myself because I have a very specific mission with writing books, with representing us in all the different ways that we can in the publishing industry. I am the only Black woman with her own children's book imprint in the top five publishing companies in the world. I am the only one who has decided that I'm going to do solely Black books featuring Black authors and Black illustrators, period. You don't get to do that and not show up as your authentic self. You have to. But I think that I'm able to do that because I'm good at what I do. And so that can't be denied. You can't deny me walking in as my authentic self if I've done this job to excellence. I think that's key. Right. And I think that's the key of what both of you all are saying. And I think what we all can agree on is the fact that I think assimilation is a power thing. It's one of those aspects that you can't ignore and you can't do until you have the legwork behind it. And I don't know if it's a black woman thing, if it's a black culture thing, or if that's just a society that we're in. You know, we've all heard that saying twice as good, half as much. And I don't know if that has a correlation with our need to say at the beginning of your career, perhaps even in the mid stages of your career, there's a level of assimilation that you just have to do because you have to get that twice as much. Or is it just the nature? And this is a question. If it's just the nature of working in America, period, you have to assimilate before you can dominate, right? You have to be able to say, I'm willing to play along this game that you all are setting for me until I can set the stages myself. I definitely still believe you don't have to. That is the thing. It is still a choice, no matter what. Every day, it's a choice. You know, you think about the restaurant where you just you meeting up with your girls and you've got on jeans and you've got on flip flops and you get there and they have a dress code and a policy. Now it becomes a choice. Am I going to go back to the car and put on heels because they're not going to let me in here with these flip flops on? Or am I going to say, I'm going to go someplace where I'm accepted exactly the way I'm dressed? It depends on what you felt like eating for that day, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, when I think about my career, I don't, I never had this conversation around assimilation. What comes to mind is how I personally have grown and evolved. And as I get older, I'm so much clearer about who I am and what my authentic self is and how I want to show up. And earlier in my career, I wouldn't have said I was trying to like cover who I was, but I also was still exploring and discovering who I was that it wasn't even like top of mind. And I was really just focused on like my performance. Yeah, just like, you know, 25 year old Ty, 30 year old Ty was just the sense of self wasn't there. So I couldn't have had a good conversation about authenticity or assimilation. I don't think it's a binary we just grow, we evolve. We're not the same person in all spaces. You mentioned this beautiful example, Sharonda. So I love that we had this conversation. I really want to shift us a little bit. I think that right there is really that distinction and what we're going into next about like the joys, the highs, the lows, just just the difference of being Black (laughs) sometimes. And specifically right now, we're centering this podcast on the experiences of Black women, but We want to kind of touch on why that distinction is so important. Like, is it even important to really showcase the distinction of Black women as it compares to other women? We're leaving that broad again, just to discuss. Deneen got that, she's got that head nodding. What's going on? Tell us why. Tell us why. (laughs) We live different lives. Mm. We have different experiences. I walk out this door and my experience when I take the first whiff of air in the morning is different from the chick that lives downstairs from me or across the hall or across the the courtyard from me. 
We will never have the same experience. She will never know what it's like to walk in my shoes. She will never understand what it means to love a black man the way that I can. She will never understand what it means to be the daughter of a black man. You said your dad went to the eighth grade. Mine went to the fifth. What we had to go through, what they had to go through to get us to this moment right now, they will never understand. I don't care how many different ways you can say that, you know, white folks in Appalachia are more poor than whoever else in America. You don't know what it's like to be Black in America, and you especially don't know what it means to be at the intersection of Blackness and gender. You just have no idea. And for me, it is so important and everything I do acknowledge that and have you acknowledge that you need to come at me in a different way because my experience is different and you can't ever relate to it or walk in my shoes, period. And complimenting me on it and thinking that you're giving me your approval That's not even what I need to hear from you. That's not even what I need to see from you. What I need is when I'm the only one in the room and you know the facts about a situation, don't text me on the side to tell me you agree with me. Don't want to have drinks with me after the office. Let me hear your voice while we're in those rooms. That's really what wanting to make sure you're bridging the gap really means. I think that there is this unwritten standard that women who are not of color think that they set. And the reality is there are so many cultural appropriations of how we look, our shape, our sizes, even to the skin tone that we have, that they then take and make their own and then feel the need to compliment us for walking in a space that they think that they created. And so that comes with so many complexities in itself of being in the skin that I, I'm in. You know, one thing that you said earlier, Denise, was just about showing up with excellence. In this environment where I work and I've spent a lot of time, there's always these conversations about diversity, right? And there are companies that get lauded because they have reached a certain number. They checked the box on a certain number. And just because you've invited me to the party, I got the invitation, but nobody asked me to the dance floor or the music that I like or what I want to eat or, you know, the recipe doesn't mean that you're driving the inclusivity that is required for us not to feel like we have to assimilate. I know that assimilation is a bad word, but the other thing that I think we all do better than any other group is code switch. Black men do it, Black women do it, and we know the right moment, the right time, and when we have to show up and speak in our language. They can never be us. Absolutely. You guys are saying it. Absolutely. That's it. And I think it's funny how this theme just kind of emerged when we're talking. The whole point of this conversation with everyone today was to talk about Black womanhood. And it's funny, the themes that I hear emerging is assimilation, whether you want to take it in a good or bad way, but the assimilation, but also just how different, whether it be excellent or just the history that really comes into play every single day as we're walking, as we're breathing, as we're talking, and really just connecting with others, whether they be Black or not. The same themes tend to come up, and I wonder if it's a good or bad thing. 
I know, Sharana, you were talking about your mom and the whole story about the cotton. And it kind of relates to what Deneen was saying when it comes to just like, you would never understand, you know, in terms of the the history that comes with even the everyday moments that we tend to encounter. And so just a general question, do you think because of that, can we be friends? Is there a true friendship, a true relationship that you can have? We'll say it with white women or just with others that may not truly understand the gravity in terms of how we're really operating in some of these spaces. Yeah. And I'm going to kick us off because what I immediately thought of was I'm a part of this book club, Black Feminist Book Club. And it didn't hit me until I was in that space, how good it felt not to have to qualify my experiences, to be around a range of Black women. And I think what I love about our conversation today is the experience of being a Black woman is not monolithic. And it's just great to be able to have those differences of opinion and differences of experiences while still not having to qualify your own unique experience. Sharonda, you brought up just how compliments hit different when it comes from another Black woman in just ways that I can never articulate. Like things just feel different. So I love calling myself a Black woman. I love that what happens in a space created for Black women. And I think sometimes when groups are grouped together, there's an erasure or a minimization of the unique individual experiences because sometimes there's just not enough room. So I felt really validated when I was listening to you talk, but I'd love to hear what you both think about this idea of spaces created for Black women and the question that Kayla asked. Well, I can tell you, I have white friends, but it takes a lot for me to trust you with my whole self, right? Like I have three distinct groups of Black female friends, each who do something different for me, right? Like there's the Rural Housewives of Atlanta type group. And then there's like the my mom group. And then there's the the ones who are kind of in the middle of, of those two. And then I have some friends who are outside of those groups and only a couple of them are not Black women. And a big part of that is that, you know, like I need to trust you. And it's not a matter of what you're saying. It's the way that you you move, right? It can't just be, oh, I can have a relationship with you because we can bond over like the Kardashians or we both like the same restaurant or, you know, like we both like to shop at the same store. And so, you know, like we cool. That's all we'll ever be is we cool, right? But you're not necessarily going to be invited to my table or I won't necessarily trust you in a space with all of my Black friends unless you prove to me in some kind of way that you deserve to be in that space. And without being insulting to me, without coming in and feeling like you need to take up all the air in the room because you are not us and you are used to moving in that kind of way. You know, you know how it is. You can just be walking down the street and sometimes they will feel like they don't see you. It's like you're invisible. And you're kind of navigating around them. It never occurs to them to navigate around you. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you can't do that in my house. I'm not going to navigate around you in my home. And so it takes a lot for me to invite you to my table. And that's not me being a jerk, an asshole. That's not me, you know, like being racist or prejudiced or anything. Like mm-hmm. this is my personal space. 
And my personal space goes wherever I go, right? It's not just in my house. It's with me wherever I go. And so you need to prove to me that you can hang. There is so much we can unpack here. Sharonda, I'd love for you to jump in. And if you have any thoughts here. Yeah, my my thoughts might not be as as popular. (laughs) I will say that I take and value friendship in a dear, dear space in my heart. I would say that, you know, I have a small group of newer friends. When I say newer friends, people that I've met within the past five years. But my strongest friendships are those that I've known 30 plus years that I met in my college experience. And, you know, as you get a little older and you have people evolve, people make mistakes, friendships, you know, ebb and flow and you you decide who deserves to be in your life and who deserves to be able to take up this time that we have here, you become a lot more discerning. That's whether you're black, white, family, not family, because all family, not friends, that's a topic for a different day. But, you know, you just become more discerning overall. And for me, it is very, very important because of the high stress of some of this work to be able to have a safe space, to your point, a safe space with those that I know I can pick up the phone and call. I know that I can show up and not be all the way put together. I know I can talk about this dude that I keep letting back in my life and we know I'm smarter than this and you're not going to judge me and you're going to still tell me what I deserve and why I should go out and get it. You know, like those are things that I hold very sacred. That is my health and wellness. That's the days when I don't, you know, I'm not paying to sit on the couch. The girlfriends become the couch. And it's also not a need to have to explain everything that you're saying. And I think Just because of our journeys and our experiences, there are cultural things that you don't have to explain to those who have similar experiences. And so for that reason, I would say that I do have white friends, but my friendships and how they've evolved are very different. And those conversations and what we do are very different. I know the circle that knows me well enough and how I can show up. And I know those who have been good peers and good mentors to me who I've met along this corporate journey, and I know that they're advocates, and I know that they are a friend, but I know that there are certain things they would never be able to understand. And I know where I can be understood completely. Yeah, that is a beautiful way to end that segment. Yeah. Yeah. It's discernment. And Thank you so much. In the words of Zanine, thank you for for entering our house and really coming in, <laughs> and really coming in with your perspective. So really quickly, we always ask our guests, we end with, what is your dream for Black women? My dream for Black women is for us to be able to have the love that we deserve and that we desire and to make sure that we can give it to other Black women. And for those of us that want a Black man, for him to give it to us too. Well said. All right, Zanine. My dream for Black women is that we just understand freedom and take full advantage of it. Be free. I love that. I'm glad we didn't miss this wisdom. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Okay. So if you all can just say a quick thing about, you know, where folks can reach you. If if you want to get in touch, they loved what they were hearing and just want to know more. What's the best way to get in contact, to follow your journey? Anything else you want to share? You can find me on LinkedIn, Sharonda L. Britton on Instagram. I'm Sharonda underscore L. 
Every now and then you'll get corporate Sharonda L. Britton. Every now and then you'll get Sharonce. <laughs> I want to meet Sharonce. <laughs> <laughs> I am my brown baby everywhere across social media. And you can find out more about what's going on with my life and my imprint and my books at DeneenMilner.com. Awesome. This was such a great conversation, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us. This is not the end for those that are listening. We got a quick, quick little wrap up with you all as we do every single episode between your two hosts. But thank you so much, Deneen and Sharonda, for joining us. We loved hearing your perspectives. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Take care. Oh, my gosh. In the meantime, Ty, what did you think? What's going on? (laughs) So many thoughts. This conversation we were having about this idea of the risk of being yourself and not being yourself is something that I think about all the time. And I think it's one I'm going to keep thinking about. Absolutely. It seems so clear that the conversation today, even though we were talking about Black women, we were talking about, you know, everyone's individual journeys, assimilation, it seems to come back to power and whether or not we're going to take back our own power. Are we ready to just kind of step in to this life as our full self? And what does that really mean? The risk that it takes to be ourselves as Black women in this country, in this time, but also the reward of just living your truth, no matter what industry you're in, or if you're talking about jobs or no jobs, just in your life in general, who you're bringing along with the ride too. So I love the idea of discernment when it comes to friendships, when it comes to community, and when it comes to places you wish to spend your time in to get your coins, you know, it all, it all comes back to, it all comes back to you and the power that you truly have or the power that I feel like now I truly have to really make those decisions in my life to live and lead in the life that I want. Yeah. And the question mark I still have it. You said that statistic at the top of the podcast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that 17% of black women start businesses versus like 10% of white women. And I think the number was 15% of white men. I'm, may have some of those numbers wrong, but Black women start businesses more. And I'm wondering if the idea of us going out on our own has to do with creating a space where we can just show up authentically and deciding to do it on our own. It's not because we haven't found it at corporate spaces. It's a hypothesis. I'm sure there's so many variables to that, how we got to that number. But I'm just thinking like, is the conversation we had connected to that really high number for Black women? I think so. I think it's also connected to why we're, you know, the ones or among the ones that are most likely to go after those higher degrees and and get those masters and et cetera, et cetera. It's all about making sure that when we do play, we're playing to win. You know, it's about making sure that we're in a space or we're able to occupy spaces that we either create or enter and have a little more autonomy in being our true selves, perhaps because we're not used to it, perhaps because we've grown up and seen our parents, et cetera, that may not have gotten to that finish line that we, or proverbial finish line that we may think is important. Or it's about just being able to finally notice that, you know what, I want to be able to fully breathe and there are steps that I need to take in order to get there. So I think it's all connected. It's all connected. To be continued. To be continued. So much. (laughs) Thank you for today. I had fun. Yes, yes, Ty. This is just the beginning, y'all. And I mean, obviously, if you loved what you heard on this episode of Monuments to Me, make sure to follow us. Go to revolt.com to find all the details. Look in our show notes for our individual Instagram, social media handles. Keep up with us. Leave a review. Subscribe. We have all the asks for you to do, but it's really just about creating this community and really continuing the conversations the best way that we know how. So 
Thank you so much for joining us. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for tuning into Monuments to Me. A special thank you to Revolt for creating the space for Black women to have important conversations. If you liked what you heard today, and we are so sure that you did, then subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend to tell a friend about your new favorite podcast. Head over to Revolt.com to stay connected to all things Monuments to Me. And follow your hosts, Hi and Akila, on Instagram. The link is in the show notes. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.